Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes. On today's show, I'm going to be talking with Larry Studnicki from the High Plains Drifters. They have an EP that just keeps on giving. It's called Songs of Love and Loss. Several successful singles already released. And the latest, He Reminds Me of You, with a really great accompanying video. We're going to talk about the making of that and much more. So welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you for having me, Kelly. I'm, I'm grateful to be here and uh, want to uh, thank you on behalf of all the guys in my band and our producer for the opportunity. Well, speaking of, you had a pretty high-powered uh, producer for this, wasn't it Greg Cohen? Uh, yeah, it was Greg Cohen. He's uh, He's been a record producer pretty much for as long as I've known him, which dates back to around when he was 20 or 21. Back then, we were, we were buddies. Um, uh and uh about a little more than a halfway through our debut album uh the guy that was producing one of my co-founders in the band uh, got married and moved to germany and i turned to greg and said could you step into the producer's chair and he's he's been our guy ever since he's been phenomenal well i really love the 80s inspired sound on some of these cuts and on you know he reminds me of you it almost feels like this could have been some lost song from another era from an era other than the 80s i mean it, it's a little maybe a little more poppy than sort of reimagined new wave which is kind of the i guess overwhelming flavor of what we did on the ep um yeah very much it and i like how you know a lot of people are embracing you know the 80s synthesizers but you definitely added your own unique spin to that yeah i I can't take credit for that except to say that uh like like greg and pretty much all the guys in the band leave aside our female backup singers they're little babies but all the guys in the band musically came of age in the 80s we're all huge fans of not just the new wave sound but most of what was going on in the 80s and some of the synths were kind of cheesy but I absolutely love some of them. So we always we always talk about, you know, is there a particular synth or other sound if we think the song can lean 80s? You know, like what synth from from what record did we all love that maybe we could bring back to life here and reintroduce it to some of today's listeners? All right. That, you know, reminds me of bands like A Flock of Seagulls. You know, they were embracing synthesizers in the early 80s, but creating a really fresh sound. Yeah, I, I, it's funny. I listened to those guys just the other day. I, was, I, I spent a lot of time, I guess like most guys my age, in a car driving my daughter around and playing chauffeur. Uh, she's become a huge fan of 80s music as, as a result. And I, Flock of Seagulls was, was on my Sirius XM uh, New Wave station just this week. Oh, wow. See, good music... It will still be that fresh 40 years later. I agree. Uh, I, I I never tire of queuing up. I, I don't care. It could be The Cure. It could be The Style Council, Blondie, The Ramones, The, Cla- the Clash. It's it. None of it sounds dated, um, whereas I think there are other genres of, well, especially rock, that I, I don't think age well. I don't think some of the metal stuff ages too well. Um, but I guess if you're if you're a fan of that, I guess for you it does. Just not my style. 
Now, for the band itself, you guys are based in New York, and it seems like uh, you know you have guest vocalists on some of your your cuts here. But what is the core of the band? You know, tell me a little bit more about how you all came together. Okay. Uh, well, I wouldn't call on on the last single we put out in the fall. He reminds me of you. Christina Benedetto is taking lead vocals. She's not a guest vocalist. She's been with us uh, since the first album. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, okay. I, I stumbled across her. Uh, I have a day job, like a, a lot of people who try to, to make it in music. You got to do something else to pay the bills. And Christina was... Uh, waitressing in a little restaurant down the street from my office my partners and i and sometimes clients we used to go in there after work for drinks or a meal or lunch and one wednesday night i saw her fronting a little jazz trio and she could really sing and we didn't have any backup singers at the time so i asked her if she'd like to uh come and check out what we were doing and she's been with us since um the the band was co-founded by myself and one of the guitarists, John Makem, and our first producer, who who's still our keyboardist, although he's in Germany, Charles Zarnecki. Um, I knew them both uh, from, actually, I knew them both from having worked as a lawyer in the music industry. Um, Mike DeCampo, who's the other guitarist, I had worked with on a recording project back in the 90s where I, I, was contri- I contributed songs to a band that Mike was in, got to know Mike really well. And when we were a couple of songs into our first album, I pulled in Mike. Uh, he's a lifelong guitar instructor and absolutely brilliant guitarist. Um, our our original rhythm section were session guys who Charles brought in, pretty well-known guys, Kevin and Ken Dow. I mean, you could Google them. They've been around playing forever. And at the time they were, they had golden handcuffs on. They were the rhythm section for the Jersey band, Jersey boys band on Broadway. And they must've done that for a dozen years. Um, they made a lot of money, uh, you know, too much money to leave Broadway. The show was obviously phenomenally successful, but they were only free to record for people like us on Sundays and Mondays when Broadway's dark. So eventually we needed to find another rhythm section. And it turned out that our engineer, Kyle Castle, uh, is a drummer and I, I asked him to step in on the drums on one of the songs on the first album. He's been our drummer ever since he pulled in uh, Dave Richards, who's a very well-known professional bass player in and around new, not just New York city, but all over the country. He's toured with a lot of big name acts and like us brings a really like everyone in the band. He has this, he, he grew up musically in the eighties and he brings this really cool eighties feel to some of our tunes. Um, Sometimes you can sense maybe when you're listening to Dave on bass, you can almost think that New Order's playing. Oh, wow. There's another classic band. I love that reference. They're one of my favorites. I I used, um, when I first made enough money to buy a decent stereo system, I went to one of the high-end electronic stores in New York City and I just brought one record with me, and that was uh, the New Order album with Bizarre Love Triangle on it. And I just made made the guys in the listening room keep playing that one song through different combinations of amps and speakers until I found oh, wow. something that, that worked for me. Now, you had mentioned uh, you're a lawyer, and so many lawyers I know are very creative 
you know, whether it's music or writing. And, and most of them had this point in college where they said, am I going to pursue my art or, you know, have a profitable career? Uh, what was that decision like for you? Yeah, that's, that's, you've obviously been around a while and that's, that's a great insight. Most of the people that I went to law school with were uh, probably overwhelmingly frustrated writers of one kind or another. Uh, probably people who wanted to write the great American novel, you know, uh, there weren't too many people I encountered in law school who, who were as passionate about music as I and some of my friends were. Um, I, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't raised in a family with money. Uh, I went to college on a combination of, you know, scholarships and loans. I went to law school almost overwhelmingly on loans. I had a huge debt obligation facing me when I got out and going into the arts or entertainment just really wasn't an option. I had, I had to pay back debt and I had the opportunity to make a pretty good living as a lawyer. And frankly, I, I was a pussy about my music. I, I, I didn't have the confidence. Even I started writing songs in high school, probably around age 16, but I spent most of the next decade wondering whether anything that I was hearing in my head was any good. And, I didn't play an instrument. Uh, I had been told as a kid that I couldn't sing. So I was just really lacking in self-confidence. And with, without that, go, going into music is pretty much a non-starter. Yeah. Well, when did you finally, you know, dive in? You know, you established yourself as a lawyer, but when did you get back to music? I didn't get, I got serious in my early 30s. That, that's when I met Mike DeCampo and I contributed some songs to a record that he and his bandmates were working on. Um, by then, I'd been writing songs for myself and just playing them in my head, sometimes just bare melodies and lyrics, but sometimes I'd hear instrumentation. And eventually I, I found myself saying, well, that's that's pretty good. And it's better than this shitty song that I'm listening to on the radio right now. Um so by the time I was out of my 20s, I was like, you know, screw it. I should I should give this a shot and see whether these songs have any real merit or life to them. Uh, Mike and his bandmates were really great because I, I learned that even though I can't read or write music or play an instrument, I could sit with really talented musicians and convey the music that I hear in my head. It, 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 it sounds silly, but I, I've since learned lots of other pretty famous singer songwriters do this. I, I, you know, I can mimic a piano. I can mimic certain guitar chords. Uh, I can't hear a bass line ever to save my life. Um, but I can hear a lot of, I can hear strings, horns, and, and it, it, it takes a little more time my way, but good musicians seem to be able to find on their instruments, the sounds that I hear in my head. You know, remember that TV series, Ally McBeal, Oh yeah, I remember it well. It was it was created by a college classmate of mine, David Kelly. Oh wow, yeah, he I was also it. also an inspiration because Kelly, David Kelly, he was he was a hockey player. I was at Princeton. He was a hockey player. I was on the crew team. We didn't really know each other. Had friends in common. We both ended up in Boston for law school, not at the same place. Uh, and he had the balls in his twenties to go off and and pursue uh, his love of, you know, he, of writing for television and eventually film. And, um, you're watching 
what he did was something that really inspired me. It took me longer to get around to it, but that was, yeah, I watch Ally McBeal all the time. Didn't you love how the people in that firm would go out to that one club and, and sometimes they would just go up and sing? Absolutely. And all, he did he did something, Kelly did something that I always, always loved. He brought Barry White onto the show, which I, I thought was phenomenal. Um, he's one of my favorite uh, soul artists of all time. Oh, that's amazing. And I just love the fact that they did it without explanation. You just assume in this law firm they had all these great singers. Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's true of my law firm, but uh, I mean, actually, I was, <laughs> I was I was stunned to find out that I actually could sing. Um, my co-founder Charles Zarnecki uh, turned to me, and I think what was the the fourth song we were recording on the debut album? It's called Summer Girl, and it's kind of like. Beach Boys meet Jimmy Buffett. That, that's kind of the vibe of the song. And he turned to me and he said, you're going to sing this song. And up to that point, Charles and John Makem had been singing the lead vocals. And I was just writing lyrics and melodies. I said, I can't sing, man. He goes, you can sing this. This is more of a storyteller's song. It's more talked than sung. It was excruciatingly painful. We must have done 50 takes. Um, it, but the, my vocals didn't totally horrify me. And soon after that, accidentally, uh, I, I accidentally while doing a, a presentation to a bunch of startup companies in New York City about how to get, you know, about different ways to finance a startup, I, I met a woman who was a professional, former retired opera singer, professional voice coach, and I spent about eight months taking lessons from her, and she taught me I, I actually could sing, and I've been singing all the lead vocals since, except for Christina on He Reminds Me of You. Mm -hmm. Well, I think your voice is very front and center on since you've been gone and you have quite the kind of that deep authoritative kind of voice in it. Yeah, I, I think by nature, I guess I'm a bass baritone, um, but Greg Cohen keeps pushing me to sing higher and higher. Um, so on, on some of the songs, I never know what I'm doing. Frankly, I do what Greg tells me. But on, on some of the songs I've seen reviewers uh, refer to my smooth pop tenor, which frankly floored me. So I, I guess I have a, a little I guess I've learned to have a little more range than than I had when I started out on Summer Girl. So I'm hearing maybe a little uh, Leonard Cohen in your performance. Mm, I, I'm, I know him. Uh, yeah, me, I mean, I, I don't think about him when I sing. I think I think more about a guy like you know Lou Reed, um, who's yes. not a great not a great vocalist, but his his songs and his delivery of his lyrics are phenomenal. And so I sometimes tell myself before I go into the vocal booth, I go, you know, if, if Lou Reed can do this, I can do this. You know, I like that, and I, I don't think your voice is just like his, but it makes me think. Uh, David Byrne and the Talking Heads. Uh, I've never tried knowingly to emulate David Byrne. The, they were one of my favorite groups in the '80s. Um, I still play them a lot. I actually live a couple of miles from uh, uh, Tina and what's the drummer's name? Oh, Chris. Chris. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know them. Right, Chris France. I know his sister. 
uh, I know his sister and one of my buddies from New York City uh, used to date Chris's sister and, and, and knows Chris and Tina really well. I've never seen them around town, but they're, they're a couple miles from me. Well, Larry, you are very well connected. Not in music. I mean, like, <laughs> if I were well connected in music, maybe, maybe I'd, we'd have a little more recognition. Like if my last name were, if I were the son of David Byrne or something, you know? <laughs> well, let's talk about the... You had uh, this, this crew film this in Norway? Yeah, we... Um, I, I, I wish I could take more credit for the recent videos, um, but I can only take credit for having the good sense to greenlight the uh, Lars Skåland and his team in Norway, starting back on the first single off the EP. Um, I work with, um, yeah, we're 100% do-it-yourself. Um, everything, we don't have a label backing us. We don't have a publisher backing us. Uh, since we put out the EP, Actually, a little bit before that, we put out a single before the EP. We, we've gotten distribution through Universal Music Group, but that that's just digital distribution. There's no financial backing. But I have I have someone who helps me out with marketing, and you know another guy who does the artwork for the EP and the album and the singles. And the marketing guy has always been really good at finding guys to do the videos. His name's Jonathan Chang, and John. three videos that the one that got away and then he reminds me of you they're like leaps and bounds qualitatively better than anything we ever did um i sometimes say it looks like every major label funded these videos you know like we didn't have one label we had five labels paying for them which is false but they they look that good and uh i i just i approve the treatments i, I don't really have a head for coming up with ideas for music videos but between jonathan chang and lars scoland they've just come up with really you know fun quirky cool ideas for these last three videos and i i think they really make us stand out you know for the he reminds me of you video i i think i know what the plot is i want to hear it from you how would you describe the plot to this video Innocent college girl has a slightly overcloying, clingy boyfriend and a professor who arguably is maybe the boyfriend 30 or you know, 20, 30 years older. And uh, you don't really, I don't think you really get the sense that there's anything going on between her and the professor in class. Maybe she finds him attractive, maybe not. The boyfriend's always texting her, trying to get her attention. And somehow she stumbles upon some online ad for a way for, to, to go make some extra money. And next thing you know, she's in an S&M dungeon and uh, her professor is a, her customer. He's blindfolded. He doesn't know it's her. And it, it just goes on from there. Um, I, I, I love the video. I think the girls, I think she's phenomenal uh, in what she does. Um, we've been, we've been really lucky to have uh, really talented people, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera in Norway on those videos. Yeah, it looks great. All the actors are great in it. 
but it makes me think of our with videos now and it's really hard to shock but this one shocked me a little i thought "Ooh, i've never seen anything like this before well where do you live <laughs> i live in seattle washington you'll see okay see if you were in new york city this probably wouldn't shock you at all if you were around in the 80s um uh not not that i always have to make clear that even though i i was single throughout the 80s and enjoyed myself to the extent that a guy with a very long hours you know legal job could i i never came across a girl with a dark side like like you see in that video no no girl even so much as asked me to tie her up or spank her or anything so I, all the lyrics in the song are almost 100 percent completely made up uh except that Christina Benedetto, who's singing the song, uh, would occasionally regale me with stories of her uh, exploits as a you know, single girl in her mid-20s in, in New York City. And, and she encountered some guys with these uh, bondage and discipline proclivities. So there, there are a few things in the song that come from some encounters that she had, but most of it I just made up. Well, one thing we do have in Seattle is a pretty big Norwegian community. So I, I can totally relate, like the professor, there's a lot of guys like him in Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and are, are, they, are, they, are, are they stalking young girls? I hope not. No, I mean, just that look like him. So it's kind of yeah. funny to think of your video and then to think of all the middle-aged Norwegian men I know thinking, hmm, maybe they all have this under the surface. Well, they spend, a, at least in, in the Scandinavian countries, they spend a lot of time compared to us in darkness and cold. And you hear things about how they have like much higher per capita suicide and, and violent crime rates than, than some of the rest of the uh, developed world. So, yeah, there, there just may be an inherently dark side that comes from spending too much time actually in darkness. Yes. And just like this orderliness being very traditional, and it almost seems like a lot of that is dying off everywhere. And, and it's just so interesting, you know, to see a situation where the new generation is confronting the old generation and their traditions. But that that's what new generations always do, right? They challenge, challenge their yeah. parents, challenge orthodoxy, try to prove that they're somehow different. And then when they grow up, they realize they weren't that different at all. Well, what do you think of this new generation? I, uh, I have a daughter. I keep asking her, I go, what, what, I go, what generation are you? Because I'm never sure. She's turning 16, so I'm not sure what she is called. Um, uh, I, ha I have to be, I, I don't know enough of them. Um, I don't work in, a, if I worked in a large law firm, we'd have a slew of freshly minted 20-something-year-old, you know, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, male and female and other associates running around 
but I'm in a very small law firm. We're all, for the most part, older guys and gals. Um, I, I, I think they, if they're, if they're like we were, and I think, and I think basically they are like we were, and they're in a place like New York City or Seattle or one of America's other great cities. I hope they're just, I hope they're having as much fun as they can in their twenties, you know. And I, I get the sense that they are. We, we'd hear uh, in, you know, we'd hear anecdotally during the COVID thing. Uh, I talked to my buddies who were still living in the city and getting out a bit. And they said, ah, they said, you know, if, if you know where to go, and this was always the thing in New York, if you know where to go, they said, this COVID thing is just complete horseshit. You know, there, there are restaurants downtown uh, in Alphabet City and, and elsewhere, Nolita, where, you know, around midnight, they're clearing out the tables and the DJ's coming in and the kids are piling in and dancing till 4 a.m. And there's no sign of police or masks or any of that shit. So when I heard that, I was like, OK, maybe, you know, there's a future for America. You know, if, if the kids are still getting out and partying like that, the kind of the way we did in the 80s, then maybe the country's going to be OK. Yeah. Well, your music has a very youthful feel to it. Your videos have a very youthful look. What's that like at this point to see your music being embraced by Gen Z? Uh, it's 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 gratifying and it's weird. Um, you know, I was at a on the law side of my life pre Christmas. I was at a client's Christmas party in Brooklyn, and. I was sitting at a table with a mix of some of the executives and some of the other people. And I was chatting with one of the guys. We didn't know each other. We hadn't dealt with each other before this party. And we got into our private lives. And I said, well, I said, as, as shocking as this may seem, you know, despite my you know, button down looks here, I, I have a side life in music. And I told him about the band. And he said, I'd love to check out your music. So I sent him a link to some stuff. And about two days later, he emailed me back and said, I checked it back. I think the band is awesome. And I, I went to talk to some of my friends about you guys and introduce them to you. And they said, we already know who they are. We've been following them for a couple of years. And I was floored because, you know, I, I, I grew up in a world where broadcast radio was everything. Um, there, there was no Internet. I was as a lawyer, I was actually involved in the moving of music onto the internet. But uh, as far as I know, our songs have, I don't think any of our songs has ever, have ever been played on, a, on an actual New York City radio station. So to see that people in, in the five boroughs are finding us and listening to us was really cool and, and, and shocking, frankly. By the way, are you a, Clint Eastwood fan? Of course. You can't you can't be a guy my age in this country and not be a Clint Eastwood fan, but that that doesn't so much explain the choice of the band's name as the fact that if you if you've ever tried to name anything in this, you know, I don't care whether you're naming a band, a novel, a film, a play, a book, it's like it's it's hard. You know, it's like all the great names seem to be taken. I, I must have run through 50, 60, 70 names before I threw this one out to the band and, and my marketing guy. And everyone said, that's cool. You know, that that works. It, 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 
to me it it it's it fits the band because we're mostly older guys and, and that high plains drifter thing for me kind of gives a sense of people who've seen a bit of the world and have, have lived a bit of life and, and i think we bring that to our songs both in the quality of the music and and the lyrics like i i used to talk a lot with john makem uh who's also a singer songwriter in his own right and i'd say i'd say john i don't i don't know if i could just sit down and write a pure flat out love song like guys and girls in their 20s do because I, I i'm too jaded i've had my heart broken too many times he goes yeah i know it's really really hard what kind of edge does it give you like in in law when you've dealt with musicians in the music industry what of that experience do you bring to your band uh i, I try not I try not to let the two worlds overlap the law is is it's very at least in what i do i'm a corporate lawyer the law tries to be logical and rational and you try to keep emotion out of your negotiations of transactions you try to be factual you're trying to achieve an, an objective for your client i think the the one the one big overlap for me is that since i was a little kid like even in grade school i've always loved the english language and the sounds of the english language and how you fit words together and and you spend a lot of time as whether you're a corporate lawyer or a litigation lawyer or whatever you spend most of your day manipulating the english language so i, I but I, I had the love for the language before i became a lawyer it probably in part led me there but but that's one thing that overlaps what i do as a lawyer and what i do as a lyricist okay so the one that got away gonna blow your horn here a little uh has gotten over three million views online so what's the importance of that you know you're saying radio, you know, that's been dying out. Online is everything. Where do you enjoy being most successful? Um, everyone, everyone tells you that, you know, Spotify is the place you have to be. You've got to be on their playlist. That's where you're going to find success, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I love YouTube for the videos. I, if I could, I'd make, I'd want every song we put out to have a life on YouTube as a video. Um, I, I'm, I, I was in law school when MTV first came, or right, or I started law school right around the time MTV first came on the air. And I can tell you that most of the guys and girls I was in law school, we spent a lot of time uh, with the early MTV when it was a music discovery service. A lot of, a lot of 80s bands broke on mtv before radio ever gave them a shot um so i love the video format uh and, and because i grew up with broadcast radio I, I still would love someday to be tooling around in my car although i i don't listen to much fm radio anymore i tend to listen to the satellite radio services or, or just plug in my iphone i still haven't had that experience of being in the car and hearing one of my songs come on which would be cool it just hasn't happened yet. Fr friends of mine call me from or email me or message me on Facebook from around the country and say, I was out playing golf the other day. You know, we had uh, I had my little boombox linked to my iPhone and uh, and one of your songs came on uh, in my one of my Apple playlists. And that that always shocks me.
I, that has not happened to me. Wow. Remember when MTV used to play the tubes all the time? Ooh, not, I'm not remembering the tubes. Because <laughs> you, you made me flash on when, you know, they did play songs that radio didn't play. And that was so cool. I mean, what's the equivalent now that gives that same excitement? I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I wish there I wish there was something like the old MTV. Um, but there isn't. I mean, because there you had their VJs were curating things and presenting them and introducing you to new stuff. The problem with the YouTube or any of the other video platforms is, I mean, you usually go there looking for something that you know you're looking for. So it's not really a music discovery tool. I, I guess if you, if you just let the videos continue to play, you're going to see things uh, that you otherwise wouldn't see. But, you know, most people, they go to YouTube, just like they might go to Spotify or Apple's music service or Amazon's. They go there to play something that they've already heard of somewhere. So there's, it's been a, the, the biggest problem for the music industry probably forever is, you know, how 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 do you get fans to discover new music? I don't think anyone's cracked that code yet. Mm -hmm. Well, before we go into our final stretch here, I want to make sure people know how to find you and your music online. Uh, just, uh, you can Google the High Plains Drifters with or without my name, Larry Studnicki. There's a lot of, you'll find a lot of links to videos, interviews, podcasts. Um, we're on, all of the major music streaming services just look for the band's name or look for our most recent ep songs of love and loss uh, we're on instagram and at hpd music uh, i don't tweet i don't think anyone in the band tweets certainly not about our music so i'd say stick stick to the streaming services and youtube that's the best place to find us if you if you just search the high plains drifters you're going to get uh You'll get the Eastwood movie and iconic scenes from the movie and stuff like that. So if you search Larry Studnicki, the High Plains Drifters, it, it, you'll get you'll get us. Um, but we, we don't have the we don't have the name problem on Spotify or Amazon Music or Apple Music. So excellent. And hey, if you do go down a spaghetti western rabbit hole. That's not too bad either. I was just going to say those are those are great films and everybody should watch them. Everyone should know the man with no name. Well, I want to wrap up and talk a little more about the EP. Sounds like, you know, this was a labor of love, songs of love and loss. But Greg Cohen, I was reading up on him and he's worked with some amazing people. And I just first want to know, uh, you know, when you work with someone like that, you know, do you just talk their ear off? Did you, did he share stories of working with Blondie and Nile Rogers? Uh, what was that interaction like? Well, again, because I've known Greg since he was twenty, and he's about fifty now, and he's he was my friend before he was my producer. We we share stories about almost everything in life. Um, uh, it, it's it, I'm always more curious to hear uh, his stories. He, he's the stories that come out of his trips to L.A. are usually, usually for one reason or other, the crazier stories. Um, I, I'm not I'm not obsessed with uh, 
the stars that he's worked with. I, I mean, I could, you know, it's like he's worked with Celine Dion. He's worked with Blondie. He's worked with Justin Timberlake. He's worked with Nile Rodgers. He's worked with, you know, but it seems that when he's out on the coast working, especially in, in more pop and R and B forms of music, that's where the crazy shit's going on. Um, and we, we talk a lot about that. Who would you most like to collaborate with? Ooh, man. Um, well, some are alive and some are not. Um, the guy, I, I'm a big fan of Weezer as a band. And uh, let me get the name right. Rivers Cuomo, right? Uh, mm-hmm. See the lead singer songwriter? I hope I got that right. Um, David Bowie, unfortunately, not with us. But what I, uh, what I loved about Bowie was... Uh, the way he could constantly change uh, from record to record and decade to decade. And he always sounded, he never sounded like anybody else. He always sounded fresh. It didn't matter what he was doing. Um, I love listening to, to Warren Zevon, mostly for his lyrics. Uh, Werewolves of London, still one of my favorite songs of all time. I, I think there are a couple of lines in there that could never be equaled. Um, I mean, I'll never, I'll never write a line like, you know, and his hair was perfect. <laughs> um, uh, who else? Um, I'm, I go back. I'm a fan of the what you'd call the Great American Songbook. Uh, so the the big bands and the the great pop vocalists, you know, Sinatra and Dean Martin, Tony Bennett, uh, even you know today Michael Bublé. I I get up most Saturday and Sunday mornings and spend some time if no one else is awake i spend some time in my den where the big stereo is and i pull up my sinatra or big band station on pandora and have my first cup or two of coffee listening to those guys cole porter is is absolutely one of the greatest lyricists of all time have you heard seth mcfarlane uh, singing big band music yes i have he's quite he's shockingly good he's really good isn't that great to have a career like that where you can you know, be a brilliant filmmaker and then be a really good singer too. Yeah. I, I, I was, I was super impressed with what he did as, as, as a singer. Um, we, we have a, we have a song that came out in December of the holiday season, December, 2020, um, called Santa bring my girlfriend back. And the, there's a horn section throughout the song couple of guys that we found in los angeles and they 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 took that song with the horns they put on it to a level that to me was reminiscent of some of the great big band christmas classics of all time and uh but as that year drew to a close i I was able to go over to amazon music they had a digster christmas playlist i think it's one of the amazon curated ones and that that song was sitting there alongside the classics by sinatra and dean martin and mariah carey and even justin bieber and the jonas brothers and and uh every now and then i sit back and i go okay if 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 i didn't anything else right with my life i got a christmas song onto a playlist with the greatest songs of all time so that i feel good about this 
And what do you think of Brian Stetzer and the Stray Cats? I it's funny. Um, my wife is from their hometown and knows most of the guys in that band, Massapequa, New York. Um, I've never met them. Uh, I, I mean, I was always I was always surprised that he went from rockabilly to the big band thing. Um, sometimes I wish he had just stuck with the rockabilly thing. Um, I, I don't listen a lot to the to his to the stuff he does in the big band. You know, he's a reminder of that. Even though there's something called new wave, there was such a variety. That that, that that's what I loved about the '80s. It's like you had you had all of the first generation founders of rock and roll still making great records the ones who hadn't killed themselves with drug addiction or something um and then you had their next generation almost like their you know their progeny whether it was you know the pretenders or the clash or the ramones blondie uh joe jackson uh, elvis costello i mean they 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 came along and they they took what the first generation had built and and they took it to places that that you never would have expected i I think it was the best decade of music in the last 60 years. Uh, where do you want to take it from here? Ooh, uh, I'm after spending most of the last year and a half promoting that EP, its singles and their videos. Uh, I came out of this holiday season, just really just itching to get back in the studio with the guys. Um, I have a couple of finished and a couple of unfinished songs that I want to present to Greg and my bandmates and see what we can, what we can do with them. We also have a pile of songs that are in the can finished. Uh, we were, we finished them as we were doing the EP. We thought we might put out another album, but we rushed out the EP instead. Um, so we have, we have, I'd, I'd like to get an album's worth of material finished over the next few months with counting what we have in the can and new stuff. I don't, I don't know whether it comes out as an album or we do another EP or we just release singles. Um, with COVID over, uh, at some point, I'd, I'd like to figure out how a bunch of over-the-hill guys with full-time, most of us full-time jobs and ball and chains in the forms of wives and mortgages and all that shit. You know, how do you how do you how do you get out and play live? I, I still haven't figured that out because coordinating schedules has been really hard. Well, his name is Larry Studnicki. The band is the High Plains Drifters. Current single is He Reminds Me of You from the EP Songs of Love and Loss. Hey, I prefer, uh, and I really uh, hope you get a lot of chances to perform live this year. Well, I hope I live long enough to do that, frankly. <laughs> well, well, take care. Don't walk under any ladders. And I uh, hope to talk to you when the next record comes out. I, I'll be very careful. And I hope we do have a chance to chat again when we put out the next record. I, I think it's I think it's going to be at least as good as what we did on that EP. So I'm optimistic. Excellent. Well, take care, Larry. Thanks for the time, Kelly. I'm really grateful to you. This has been the Rising Star Podcast with your host, Kelly Hughes.